0: Hey everyone. I am so excited for the interview today. This is going to be, uh, one that we've been working on for a little while to get happening. So I'm um, super excited for the particular discussion that we're going to have. I'll introduce Tomek from ExxonMobil. He can actually introduce exactly what he does and we are going to talk all things, uh, oil companies and motorsports. So very excited
1: Tomek. Right. Thanks for having me on the show. Pleased to be here. So the name is Tom Young. I look after Motorsports technology for ExxonMobil as a global technology manager in that space, and ExxonMobil. So maybe I should speak just briefly about the company. It might be known, depending on where you live, under one of our brands. and the brands include Exxon, Esso and Mobile. We actually have also in Asia Pacific, we have a, the federal brand now in Indonesia,
0: which is. Yeah, awesome right. I forgot about that. That was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? So let's just get straight into it. I guess one of the questions that a lot of people might have is what exactly are oil companies doing in motorsports? And the reason I ask that is because let's say from if I put my advertising hat on or my marketing hat on, if we slap a mobile sticker on the side of a car. I would argue that most motorsport fans are well aware of who Mo- mobile are. So you're preaching to the convert. So what exactly is the, the relationship that mobile has with race teams and what's the nature of the sponsorship and all that kind of stuff?
1: Wow, this is quite a question. And definitely there's this element of brand recognition that you try to gain through sponsorships and through partnerships that we develop. But maybe one, one thing that I should touch on immediately as a technology guy, we are in it for technical reasons. Correct. So the technical arm of ExxonMobil, which is our research and engineering company is in motorsports, supports motorsports to advance the science technology to develop molecules and compositions that give the user an advantage. And in this particular case, it would be a racing team or a racing enthusiast that's getting this advantage, but this type of work extends to other areas in which we work.
0: So, it's fair to say that it's it's
1: almost like an excuse to do R and D. I know what you mean, but not entirely. Okay. If you look at if you look at lubricants development, these tend to be long term projects. Yeah. Even in technology areas which are moving quickly, such as in you know, passenger vehicles, where you're dealing with specification changes we can argue relatively often, still development programs take several years. If We look at GF6, GF6 plus, you know, the the recent ones, it took every company and additive suppliers multiple years to develop. In motorsports, the tech, the technology is moving at a much faster pace. And that's one of the reasons it's so exciting for us. We can test things, we can iterate quicker. Second aspect that I would immediately touch on is the fact that being in that car, being in that motorcycle is not a given. The fact that you're a sponsor doesn't even automatically make it possible. You need to give the team an advantage. Yeah. And this is like this ultimate benchmarking opportunity, ultimate through opportunity, where you're going to be placed in that engine, in the differential, in the bearing, in the chassis element. Only if your product is better than what what was used or what is currently used. So this gives us, this, this gives our chemists, our engineers, an opportunity to benchmark ourselves against some of the best. This gives us an opportunity also, once we are in that car in year one, next season, there's an expectation of an improvement and this improvement needs to be measurable in some dimension. Usually it's power that we talk about could be also durability, could be you know higher temperature running, etc. We need to improve that product again. So if you think about it at a minimum, you have an improvement for each product that we have every year. So technology de- development process is shorter and we iterate faster, we tend to get the results much quicker. And then we try to extend the technology to other areas.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So Maybe one question that comes out of that would be my experience in the industrial world is that often benchmarking is quite difficult to do in some circumstances, right? Because you go Absolutely. to science and there's just so many variables. You, you would, we would try to do engine oil comparisons in power stations or turbine oil, gear oils, whatever. And yet yeah, trying to control all the variables was quite difficult. So if you're being benchmarked, let's say for example, in a, in a motorsports team, Is it, let's say, mostly on a dyno? Because on-track conditions would be quite variable, right?
1: Yes. Often, a lot of testing will be done on a dyno. But interestingly, as you develop your engine, it's not necessarily the final engine that you're working with. That engine, no matter on a series, is worth a lot of money. So often, you might use some type of a surrogate early on. So as an oil company we might find an engine that's more accessible to us at a lower cost, do some testing in it, followed by monocylinder testing, for instance, maybe followed by a fired race engine test for power. And then ultimately you would always have, even, you know, before putting any product in the car, you would have some type of no harm or durability test, which is usually in a different dyno, which can run for a you know, prolonged period of time where you do a final promote. And then you have that. You know, exciting moment of placing your your prototype in the car at a track, and we might do it at a race. We might do it with some type of a young driver test. We might do it in qualifying, and that's the ultimate provo. And you are definitely watching with excitement and with pride, <laughs> but always a bit of worry, right? Yeah. That before you prove something out in race, you cannot be 100% certain. Yep. And so the, the, the mixture of emotions is quite interesting for people who participate, but usually things go as planned. All of the the earlier testing in dinos usually is of value. And, you know, if we like it, if it performs as planned, it then is used for some period of time before you develop something new. Yeah. Cool. That's really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. That really, I was just, sorry, you get. I was just going to say, and make no mistake. As soon as you're in that car motorcycle, the team is, and and your own team is going to already be looking at the solution that's next. You're probably already advancing some of the development of the next generation as you're putting your newest and greatest in the car.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I'd heard it described most of these oil programs kind of motorsport described as like the space program for lubricant companies in the sense that it's the most extreme environment and it's pushing the envelope, and so there's a lot of R&D that's involved. So it's really interesting to see how some of that development happens. And I'm sure
1: we'll get into it a bit more, but, um, maybe, yeah, no, uh, if I may, because get... that's something that I also have thought about. If you look about a car, definition of a car for us might be something that gets you from point A to point B. Often people who are not gearheads would say, you know, my car needs to get me from point A to point B. And you might also have other definitions of a car, but if you take this one, would a race car do it? And one can argue, maybe not, right? You need the crew of people to even start it. You need people with computers and fluid conditioning systems running around. You might have not enough clearance. The car probably cannot go slow because there will be inadequate cooling. So these race cars are often really closer, maybe to some type of a space shuttle spaceship technology. Certainly you don't hold back technology-wise in any of the spaces. So lubricants, composite bearings, engines, you use the newest, the greatest alloys, materials, lubricants that you can find. So one could argue that yes, this might be closer to some other areas such as, you know, space program, yeah, and then, then really just getting in your car in the morning and going to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting.
0: They are definitely, you look at like an F1 or an Indy car and that certainly doesn't look anything like a car that you use to get to work. One question I think that pe- people always have is, uh, I think it, it's often sold to the consumer as a, let's say a sort of like a technology partnership. And especially in something like Formula One or IndyCar and NASCAR, the OEMs talk about the way that technical developments that they make on the cars eventually make their way into vehicles that we drive on the road, whether it's hybrid systems or new suspension technologies and all that kind of stuff. So to what extent does that happen in engine oils? You know, you're iterating and uh, you're doing so on a quite a rapid basis. So, you know, how long, firstly, do some of those components ever make their way into consumer grades and secondly, how long would that typically take? Like, is it, are we talking like a decade or something like that?
1: They do. And, but again, this is an area that's like rich in detail. Hmm. So the motorsports technology that we develop at the truck extends into the consumer products. And it extends into this consumer space in many different areas. So if we just, you know, start taking it apart for one, we actually do market to you and other consumers, a racing line of products Yeah, true. and many teams, including some of the top teams, winning teams use these products off the shelf. They might not have a partnership with us. We might not be a sponsor and a technical partner, but they can buy our technology. They can buy the technology that's similar and very advanced, and readily gives them an advantage of the shell. That's one. Second, if you just go one layer deeper, we have products which are track to street. With some of the leading manufacturers and our OEM partners, we have developed specifications and products which you can race with on a weekend, and then you can commute to work the rest of the week. We. We do recommend changing an oil after, after an event, but you can definitely use the same product Mm -hmm. for your commuting and for your regular use. So if you're a Porsche owner, as an example, we have such product for you. And it's marketed by both the OEM and us as track to street. Very often our relationship with the OEM is actually rooted in a motorsports type of partnership. That's where we look together for new molecules, new compositions, new specifications. And then, and then you look about extending the technology to the rest of our mobile, mobile, mobile one, mobile SHC line. And components are definitely something that we look at. And I know you, you already mentioned it a couple of times that we develop components in motorsports. And indeed we, we formulate our products in house from components. So we choose base oils and additives appropriately to give a team an advantage. That's how you really do it. It's not selecting mobile one grade A versus grade B and seeing which one is better. It's this development of a custom solution for a team and for a specific car. Yeah. And let's say we find, you know, a new polymer or a new base stock that works well. Usually actually people who are involved in motorsports are also involved in other programs. So there's this natural Mm. dissemination of information. But we also do targeted session. We, we try to see how we can place the new technology, new intellectual property with, within the high volume product line. Mm. And there are many examples of this being, you know, successful endeavor for us historically. Okay. So one thing that you just touched on then was the, maybe the development
0: with the OEMs and things like that. One, let's say challenge. I feel like we have in the industrial world and a few of the interview guests have spoken to this challenge is the idea that we are, let's say the recipients of new technologies. So the, the OEMs will go and develop a next generation gas turbine or gas engine or whatever, and it feels like there isn't a whole lot of thought that goes into the lubricant strategy around that, around that technology. So in the lubricants industry, it always feels like we're playing catch up. If that makes sense. My sense of motorsport is that it might be a little bit different and that you guys have an opportunity to be embedded with some of the engine manufacturers at an earlier stage and all that kind of stuff. So how does that sort of shape the way that the engine oil formulations evolve?
1: And the earlier we get together with the partner in the development process of an engine, the better. So, some of the early tasks for an engine designer might be defining you know, displacement, stroke, bore, might also be defining the size of bearings. And I actually started in industrial as well. So, the industrial oil is very close to my heart. And by the way, we have many products which are of industrial nature in some of the series. But for engines, specifically for engine oil, if we can be present at that stage, mm-hmm. Where an OEM, or it doesn't have to be an OEM, maybe some racing outfit that develops the engine, when they're deciding how to make that bearing, what treatments to use, what type of metals, oh. non-metals to use in that engine, the better for us, we might tell them, we have experience with hydrodynamic lubrication in that type of bearing. And you can maybe make it a bit smaller, or a bit bigger because of the Oil technology that we can explore together because of the space that we can explore together. So at that point in a partnership, we actually keep our options really open. So we don't have a product in mind yet. Viscosity grade is not defined. Friction modifiers and other additives are not defined. We are looking at it very broadly and that's really an optimal situation for us. We're lucky that often this is the case because of the duration of our partnerships. We often get to work on a new generation of the power unit. However, at times, of course, you enter a sponsorship or a technical relationship at a point where the engine is done, but these, these tend to also be satisfying. We are in it for a challenge and we are often told now the products are, re- are optimized. There's not much you can do ExxonMobil in that space. And we love working with you. We want to see what you can do, but. We are convinced mm. what we have is optimized. This gets our creative justice going and eventually a solution emerges. Make no mistake, that's true about technology in any industry. Eventually a new solution emerges, which is better. That's just so exciting because it can be very different. Often it is very different than what you have used. And then again, you have this opportunity to maybe in two to five years or use it in your commercial product as well.
0: Yeah. So I guess the engine or, or engine development in, uh, race cars tends to happen on two streams, right? So the, the the first is just evolution in time. We're trying to optimize performance. And then the second lot of changes is usually brought about by rule changes, right? Whether it's a standardization of an engine or homologation, there's infinite combinations of rules across the different motorsports, so. How does, how, how do some of the rule changes shape engine oil strategy? The one that sort of most comes to my mind, just because i an F1 fan would be the way that in F1, the teams are now allowed to use far fewer engines per season than they would have in the past. I, I think what, back when I was watching in what, mid two thousands, it was like an engine for every two races. And now it's what four engine blocks for the entire season or something like that. So how does that kind of, let's say, trying to optimize between performance and reliability. How does, how do you guys approach threading the needle between those two requirements?
1: And right, this is a great question because it's an interesting area of motorsports, and not just for formula one, but for NASCAR as well, since you've touched on formula one, you have this yearly allowance of three engines and really it's three power units. There's some more intricate detail to it. There are many parts of that power unit and the number that you can use is on average three. And what happens is all of a sudden in both NASCAR Formula One, but also in any other series due to cost, mm. you're dealing with a situation where durability matters a lot. Your competitiveness during the season, your success season depends on how well you maintain these engines. And we know, of course, that these engines tend to degrade over time. So depending on the manufacturer, maybe your power goes down, or maybe you can deal with an increased chance of a catastrophic failure event. And and certainly that's, I was excited about the question because it is an area that it's very close to our heart, durability. Use of components and use of base stock approaches that which give you durability is something that we have worked on in the, in the commercial sort of the passenger vehicle, commercial vehicle space. So now we can almost extend our knowledge from our mainstream lubricants and bring them into the racing space. Yeah, yeah. If we can give the team peace of mind, it really is priceless. Yeah. I never not really thought about that. So there,
0: there is an opportunity for the development to go in reverse. So rather than from motorsport down, it's actually coming from the, the sort of the passenger vehicles up.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Because durability yeah. is so close when you buy that car, all you think about is durability, you know, deposits and durability and with our synthetic formulations of mobile one, mobile SHC, we, we really mobile Delvac, we, we cater to that need that every one of us has and. So absolutely, you can see the same, you can use the same knowledge. And I'm also thinking right away about used oil analysis, which you have touched on. Yeah. I watched a few episodes, quite enjoyed it. We have some laboratories for these different racing series and actually believe it or not, some of them are mobile. So we take analytical equipment around the globe and, you know, across the continent to be able to provide input into the team as the weekend progresses. Different engines might be used for qualifying, for practice, for racing. And we can take a sample of the oil from this hot car, as soon as it arrives in the garage, test it, uh, put in our database. There's always somewhere. So you need a lot of experience. You need to be able to know from this date this complex data set, how we are doing, and we collaborate with the team, with engine supplier and to, you know, crack this data and decide can the engine be still used, how much power are we going to lose, have this predictive ability, which lubrication scientists and engineers love so much and use the analysis can give it to you.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that because you're like on, on passenger vehicles, we don't tend to do used oil analysis all that much you often see used oil analysis results come up on like the bob is the oil guy forum or something like that but it's not it's not probably a, a standard part of the maintenance suite so we're not certainly not doing anything predictive in the way that we would in the industrial space so it, it's interesting to see a lot of those themes carried over to motorsport and it's probably has to be more instantaneous right like with with industrial yeah. you send off your sample and it comes back a few days later but by that time the race is over, your mobile labs are probably having to do it
1: on the spot. Yeah, it's exactly right. In real time. So we not only take samples, but we actually have these sort of high grade analyzers that you would see in a lab, not in an industrial setting. So often these are not portable pieces. We make them portable, but they come straight from a chemistry lab. And we can still offer these results to ourselves, to the partner, to the team within minutes or tens of minutes.
0: Maybe more of a, like a, not necessarily business question, but a question about, um, some of the different categories that you'd support. Mobile may either supply or have a technical partnership with multiple teams on the grid. Yes. So how do you guys manage that relationship? I'm assuming that you're covered by all the standard NDAs and things like that, non-disclosure agreements so that you're not sharing information between the teams and all that kind of thing. But I guess what I more wanted to ask is about how different are their philosophies to, let's say, engine oil development? Do you see a wide disparity? You might be supplying two teams on the grid and they want completely different things out of their, their oils or do people? tend to request the same performance metrics.
1: You need to look at a race car holistically. And we have used the, we spoke about the engine, but really you need to look at the race car and the race series that it is in, even the race track to be able to decide, to be able to really guide your development towards an optimized product and because of that, the team's strategy, surface treatments, designs um, aerodynamics, cooling, yeah. oil supply, oil extraction, all of these elements are going to define the environment that oil is in. Even the way the team drives, some of the shortcomings they might have maybe in some type of downforce in the curve, they overcome, but by straight line speed and a different team might rather go after agility in turns. And this changes the appetite of this whole package when it comes to lubricants and it really does. Yeah. So lubricants, even in the, in the same series, and by the way, we often separate these different areas, have different people working with a, with a given team, but what you see is shockingly. The oils might be completely different. And we often think about, how are they different? We might think about viscosity and elemental composition. Completely different, right? right? Not just adjacent viscosity grades, but maybe viscosity grades that are on opposite side of the spectrum. And maybe one team having separate products for certain tire race versus another team preferring just having one product. And honestly, I could go on and on but it is amazing Yeah, the product that you end up with after, especially, you know, a few years of a collaboration, it truly is specific to that team. I don't know if we have a situation where we have a different product per driver, but I bet you, if you spend enough time and enough resources, you probably could do it. Okay. So
0: that makes me think of a whole bunch of questions, (laughs) Uh, namely Um, So the reason I want to ask this is because I'm getting to what I want to ask is about uh, formulation philosophy in the industrial world and how tailored could we get. So the first question I need to ask you is when you are coming up with these new formulations, how much can it be, let's say, a computer-driven exercise? So with, with all these iterations that you're going through, I know that formulators use a little bit of software to try and, so that you're not having to create a physical product each time. How accurate is that kind of like modeling software? Do you find that you can reasonably accurately predict performance out of a computer or are you having to make physical samples each time you iterate?
1: You, you tend to do both. And I think these are some secrets that are really close to the heart of, of, of participants in this industry, but clearly computer modeling of physical properties and chemical properties, and then performance in finished mechanical system is something that if you can crack the code, make it happen, it gives you a huge advantage because all of a sudden, instead of making multiple blends and running tests, you can predict properties. Do we do it in, in, in mobile, in the area of motorsports? Definitely prediction of physical properties of chemical properties is often an area that's a little more advanced when you look at the science, the physics, the chemistry of a fired engine, it is so complex that there's a lot of good attempts and you can look at specific elements of that engine, but having a, you know, really comprehensive model, I think is still not easily achievable. So you know, investing in a one generation of engine for racing uh, might be hard.
0: Yeah. The reason why I was asking is because obviously with your background in industrial as well, I was wondering how far away are we in the industrial world from having tailored formulations to, to people's applications? Because that's one thing that we do find in the industrial world is that, and this is true of all the oil companies, right? You get. Let's say, for example, for gear oils, you get a choice of, let's say, four different series and there are the ISO viscosity grades and have at it. But going back to what how we were discussing all the different variables that go into performance, one company may run their gas turbines completely differently from another company. And so they see different performances out of the oil package. So it would be, yeah, it'd be interesting, an interesting exercise to... Iterate as fast as you do with a, with a race engine, and but apply that to you, to the industrial world.
1: Definitely, almost extending this motorsports philosophy and pace into the industrial world. That's something that you know, perhaps with advancement in manufacturing and if we change the approach, that maybe would be achievable. We are a company of huge scale. We t- we have a very large portfolio yes. of hundreds and. And hundreds of products for various applications, they do work well. We select many of them actually as first iterations for some places in the car, looking maybe at hydraulic fluid demand or greases. You would first look at a product that we have and then tweak it and modify it. Eventually it's going to be different and eventually maybe full circle, the commercial product becomes different. Is this an opportunity? Being a, a formulator in my past, I think. It's something to look at. And you could one create a new manufacturing paradigm where this is e- achievable? Yeah.
0: Perhaps. Yeah. Fun to think about. So th- again, speaking to, to the future, um, a lot of the different race series have big rule changes coming up. Yeah. F1 has obviously pushed, well, most of the race series have pushed a lot of the rule changes as a result of COVID. They've, they've ex- sort of extended the current rule paradigm for an extra year. There's obviously a lot of talk in F1 about the big rule changes coming up in 2026, but also the new cars in 2022 NASCAR, similar thing. We're going to what generation seven, I think of the, mm-hmm. the NASCAR technology. Yes. How much can you talk to how that changes, let's say the oil strategy, the changes in the, the engine and the car overall so big that you're basically wiping the slate clean and starting a gap. Or is it an exercise in adaptation?
1: The cars are changing dramatically. So use the example of F1 and NASCAR. We are going to, it's still a tubular chassis, but that's probably about it when it comes to similarities. (laughs) The body is manufactured different, completely differently. And it's a one piece and it looks more like a road going car. I think it will get a lot of us excited because. The product, the 2022 NASCAR is very relatable. You probably would want it in your, in your garage all of a sudden, but you know, you look under that, you look under the chassis, the engine remains. The engine is similar, the same. There's some power adjustments potentially that are still being discussed, there's cooling adjustments. So the engine manufacturers, the engine suppliers will have to respond to those. But the spec. Let's call it. it, didn't change dramatically. It's not like going from a V8 in going to 2014 in F1 mm. to a V6. That was a dramatic shift. However, then you look at it, the gearbox that was used, the four-speed gearbox for NASCAR is changing to a sequential five-speed transmission, yeah. a, a bit similar to a motorcycle gearbox. Yeah, right. Just big departure for the driver, but. Also completely different lubrication problem. And all of a sudden you have the center shaft, high speed center shaft extending from the engine to the transaxle in the back now, which has the transmission in it, the differential, and you have half shafts going into the wheels in the back. Even if you, for a second, separate yourself from the engine oil that's in the engine in the front, and maybe even from the gearbox oil in the back, all of a sudden you have high speed. Shaft and bearings and CV joints in between, mm. and of course this creates interesting opportunities for us as, as lubrication scientists and and the teams. Asker have experienced some. But there are opportunities created for us to which we responded with mm. products from our repertoire and with some customizations that we can make. For the engine, there is a definite desire by the series to lower the barrier of entry, so. Both NASCAR, probably F1, they want to see additional manufacturers come in and lowering the complexity just a bit allows for people to maybe all of a sudden be in favor of entering. So keeping the engine more similar, I think it's one of, one of these areas where the barrier of entry is lowered. So both for F1 and for NASCAR, the engine remains, I wouldn't say unchanged, but at least the spec is similar. However, of course, we are working on new generations of oils for both NASCAR and F1 for 2022. And because the relationships that we have are multi-year, I I think the process is on the maybe iterative side, but there are some changes which we'll talk about when we introduce the cars next year.
0: Yeah, that's pretty exciting. It's interesting to see the evolution and NASCAR is obviously pretty exciting because like you said the, I mean, the cars are going to look dramatically different that's actually true of nascar and formula one right the new formula one car looks yeah quite different the aerodynamic package is very different and uh, the nascars are looking well the body at least looks a lot more like the commercially available cars on the road so i think there'll be some really interesting changes then obviously if one into the future there's talk about removing the mguk and the mguh you know to try and Like you said, lower the barriers to entry, but we'll see how that, we'll see how that all shakes out. (laughs) One thing I was going to ask you about, actually, I don't know if you can actually, I don't know if you can speak to it, to be honest. There was a bit of press earlier in the year about mobile's involvement with the Red Bull team and some performance advantages that had been gained as a result of some formulation changes to the oil. The talk in the press at least was that you had pulled some additive components from, uh, let's say, outside of the typical industry. And the talk was that it was pulled across from the cosmetics industry. Are you going to talk about that at all? Or are you, is it code of silence and you're covered by non-disclosure agreements?
1: This was one of these moments where you watched the car with you know this added pride. We did introduce an upgrade earlier this year to the oil and indeed one of the the molecules that is used in that formulation was borrowed from cosmetics industry. So was not traditionally used, at least by us ever yeah. in the space of, of lubrication. And when we look for opportunities with these products that we develop for improved, look for opportunities to improve performance, ultimately the molecular composition is one of the areas where we can deliver differentiation and What we discovered as a company, and I think this is really historically true in many areas, finding new molecules can change the game. And I think this is probably, probably true for mobile going really far back. I I know the origins of a lot of our products were in like Arctic environments. and we discovered the synthetic molecules, the ones that previously didn't even exist, they were created in a plant. you an advantage in these environments then we extended these advantages to energy efficiency and fuel economy gave our customers measurable savings gave drivers measurable savings in fuel economy and but we continue searching so the motorsports team is looking at a lot of different molecules and we find some patterns we develop these structure relationship molecule properties so we look at you know changing structure of a molecule Need some measurements, then try to normalize for the various shapes and sizes of the molecule and try to develop some understanding of how the molecular structure, the interconnectivity of these atoms contributes to performance. And when we find a pattern, then we look for the extreme molecule and often this molecule is not something that we have used in the past and and we go get it and find a company that manufactures it, maybe ask our colleagues within the chemical company to make it for us and start testing it. And in particular, earlier this year, we found an oil which worked very well in that changed Honda engine. So the engine design of our B16B car was, was refined for 2021 and the engine was actually was changed quite a bit by Honda spoke about it. You can find it in the press. The smaller package that they developed changed the aerodynamics of the car. And we tailored the oil to allow for that smaller package to still perform reliably and the whole combo worked and there was a ton of testing, let me tell you, dozens of candidates, a ton of testing and still a little bit of Emotions when the oil was going into the car, but we very quickly decided that this was it and the the partner we are, we are racing with that oil.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. It's interesting to hear about those changes because yeah, despite, let's say some of the raw, Mm. not freezers, there's, there's not that much engine development this year because it's mostly a holdover from the pre COVID rules. And yet like the, the Red Bull car of this year looks dramatically different from last year. For those who follow the sport, the the back end of the car looks almost entirely different from last year. So it's interesting to see how the the OEMs are really responded to, to pushing the envelope as much as possible within the bounds of the the rules that have been set. So
1: yes, the engine and the package were definitely changed.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, very interesting. Maybe. that comes to one of, one of the last questions I might want to ask you, which would be the way that you talked just then was it almost sounded like uh, the way a pharmaceutical company goes about discovering new drugs <laughs> in the sense that I've got friends who work in the, the pharmacy industry and the way that they talk about it is it's just, you are swimming in an infinite number of combinations when it comes to organic molecules. And you just try to hit on one that works. There is a bit of, you know, predictive capability, but that predictive capability is not perfect. And so you still have to go out and discover new molecules and test them and all that kind of stuff. Now, with what I understand with the the oil developments from earlier this year, you said you, you know, pulled over a molecule that had never been used before. And the talk was from, let's say, the cosmetics industry. Are there other industries that are you are actively looking to, let's say, cross-pollinate with to, to, to what extent has the knowledge within the, the chemicals industry is known by everyone. And now you have to sort of branch further afield for, you know, performance improvements.
1: The one partner with whom we work on new molecules quite a bit is our chemical company on ExxonMul. Yeah. So we are fortunate to have a chemical company that produces, but also researches molecules, including you know, polymers, base stocks, synthetic base stocks. And, and there was a bit of news recently on, on new types of molecules from them. And we actually do use them, find them to be beneficial in motor sports. And they hope they're very beneficial in other areas as well. And we're constantly exploring. There's always development. I have to tell you with this oil that we released the engine oil for Red Bull if you look at the b- very beginning of that program, of the technical program, we are not exaggerating when we say it's a decade. It's not because we are slow, or, or maybe, but it rather takes time to pinpoint an approach that works holistically, that gives you that combination of durability, power, cleanliness that you are seeking, and. I remember distinctly when we started that program. So we had a discussion with the team. We were trying to pinpoint the the time when we started looking at the the, the family of molecules that, that ultimately we landed on. So we're already working on new ones and always searching. And that's, I think one area where you often succeed and do deliver differentiation. So your efforts tend to pay off.
0: Yeah. And that. It feels like a sort of a natural place to, uh, to end it. Uh, Tomek, you know, thanks so much. I, I, I feel like I learned a lot about uh, the company's, you know, place in motorsport and how, you know, lubricant companies in general, I didn't realize that maybe the degree to which you guys are embedded with, you know, the OEMs and the race teams are exactly how tailored some of those formulations can get. It's, uh, it's very impressive. So yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, and hopefully I'll get you back for round two.
1: Right, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation.